Hello, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on Tia Clark, whose fiction has appeared in Kenyon Review, American Short Fiction, The Offing, and Elsewhere. She has received support and fellowships from the OMI International Arts Center in Ghent, New York, the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, and the Lambda Literary Foundation, and the Wisconsin Institute for Creative Writing. The story she's about to read for us was featured recently in 14 Hills, issue 20.2. And without further ado, here we are. Because of the way our apartment was laid out, I couldn't get to my bedroom without passing through my older brothers. So after school, while the blizzard kicked outside, I waited in the kitchen and Drew spent time with a local girl. I made up for the lunch I'd skipped, salting and biting cucumbers from the crisper. I stared at the black of the small TV on the table, the snow coming down past the barred window, and the plant that rested atop the china cabinet. The cabinet shook as Drew's headboard knocked against the wall, and I thought today might be the day that something finally broke. Their breathy whimpers through the wall, then the knocking stopped and things went quiet. I pushed the plant back into its place. Neighborhood girls liked my brother. He kept in good shape, and he'd gotten good at making them feel special enough. So between when he woke at 11 and when our mom came home at 4, he led them into his bedroom and led them out like a revolving door. There were some regulars, but mostly the girls were unfamiliar, pierced, painted. My mom didn't flinch too hard, a la boys will be boys, and told Drew not to bring her any grandkids. Two mouths were enough to feed. They emerged from his room, she in heels. I wondered if she knew about the blizzard and how she'd manage in those impractical shoes. Is that your sister? She asked Drew. Her voice was high like a baby's. How old are you? She's 13, he said. Her name is Shakespeare. It's actually Kiara, I said. Whatever Shakespeare, he said. Go write a tragedy about it. The girl giggled and I rolled my eyes, but they turned away from me to face each other. He put a hand on her waist and gave a small squeeze. I'ma call you, he said. He opened the door and she slipped out without a kiss. Not even gonna walk her home, I said. He laughed. Come now, what do I look like, some sort of dignified gentleman? He said it in an attempted British accent, which sounded just an octave above his own, like he didn't care enough to try too hard. Then, back in his Drew voice, he said, I'm good off all that. He crossed the kitchen into the bathroom and ran hot water for a shower. I went into his bedroom, which he'd been boxing up over the course of the week in preparation for basic training. He'd finished high school by a hair that past June, too distracted by the block outside, and once he'd graduated, became restless. He talked about packing up and moving south, west, north, wherever, but he worked at Best Buy and couldn't manage to save the money a move would entail. An army recruiter came to buy a flat screen one day and said all the right things. Drew enlisted the next morning. He could only bring a duffel with him, but he thought he should box his stuff up to get it out of our way. We would put it in a corner somewhere and turn his bedroom into the living room it was designed to be. Each time I walked through, something in me longed to knock down all the boxes to try to save his life. But really, Drew could die anywhere. I locked the door that separated his room from mine. My room had a box, too, one that I kept hidden underneath my bed behind the striped comforter that hung down to the floor. I'd written keep out in the front of it, back when I thought someone might be curious enough to snoop through my things. I opened it up and added the lunch money from my pocket to the rest of the bills and coins that filled it. I started saving back when Chen left for Shanghai in fifth grade. He brought a flag to our class on his last day, and Mr. DeAngelis made him point out the city on our atlas. He didn't know much, including where exactly to point. He was born there, but moved to Mount Vernon when he started preschool. He only remembered the dog that his family found on the street. They called him Cyclops because he could only open one eye, and because he was a monster dog, nipping at Chen's ankles when his parents turned their backs. 
I watched from the back of the classroom and doodled and chewed on a pen cap. Mr. DeAngelis had us all go around and say one thing we liked about Chen. I said, in my quiet voice, something about him sharing snacks with me, because I knew it'd be futile and embarrassing to say that I liked everything about Chen, that I doodled his name in every book I owned and thought of him before drifting to sleep every night. What was not to like about the boy who didn't pressure me out of my shyness and who told me once while playing house that I'd make a perfect wife? Chen's mom picked him up early that day, and before he got out of there for good, he dropped a folded piece of loose leaf on my desk. Don't be a crybaby, it read. Come visit me in Shanghai. I hope you don't forget about me. Bye. He signed it, love, in capital letters, Chen Yang. That night, I asked my mom if we could take a trip to Shanghai as a family, and she laughed, saying that she had no business getting her fat ass on a plane to Japan. If I wanted to save up and send myself halfway across the world, then by all means, I was welcome to. So I started putting my small lunch allowance in a shoebox under my bed. I trained myself to go lunchless, eating big in the morning and snacking first thing at home. Leftovers, cucumbers, quarter muffins from the bodega. I counted my money monthly, terrified of being found out. There were times we went for days without power or cable. There were times things could have gone very differently for us, but I selfishly hoarded my secret. I got close to confessing a few times, but how could I explain myself? They would ask me how long things had been like this. They would ask me how I could be so selfish. I counted the money whenever I could to make sure no one was on to me. And honestly, sometimes I felt glamorous about it, rubbing the bills on my face and letting the coins shake against each other. Music, if you shook them right. It became much bigger than Chen and more about Shanghai. The view of the river from the Oriental Pearl Tower, the skyline at night. I studied books and travel sections and daydreamed itineraries. It became bigger than Shanghai and more about the world. I dreamt of Italy, where I could meet a nice man who would whisk me to Pisa on a Vespa and France, where we'd swim in the Riviera and share crepes. South Africa, Brazil, everywhere, anywhere, anyone. My mother's heavy feet tapped the linoleum, and I slid the box back underneath my bed. She yelled that it smelled like Drew had been busy, but she would have yelled that it smelled like flowers if it did. I met her in the kitchen and took the grocery bag she struggled with. Where's your brother, she asked. I'm guessing on the block somewhere, I said. That boy. It's about negative 100 degrees outside, and he's out there causing trouble, Ain't it ever too cold to cause trouble, she said. Go get the rest of the groceries then. I grabbed my coat off the hook and ran outside to the taxi in front of our building. My mother was never one for stocking up, but the cab's trunk was filled with plastic bags of box goods. She bought as we needed, and we rarely needed anything besides chicken and rice, and cereal when she didn't feel like cooking chicken or rice. And we always needed sweets. But all this food made the blizzard feel real. She must have thought we'd be trapped for a long while. I brought the bags inside, and we both took seats at the table. I asked her about work. She told me about a coworker whose husband was cheating with the male lady. I tuned out when it became something about the male lady's too long nails and dry skin and blonde hair, and why would anyone of that complexion ever want hair that blonde? Don't ever let a man cheat on you, she said to me. You hear me? I nodded. These talks about men always ended up about my father. She was jaded from years of cheating, alcohol, and excuses that I got in piecemeal stories. To her, all men were garbage. She wouldn't date. She blamed the girls Drew brought around for falling for his lies. He was a man, so she didn't expect anything more from him. Even Justin, the eight-year-old who lived upstairs, only walked to and from school with me because he had ulterior motives, according to her. She was convinced that he was planting a seed in me so that when his voice dropped, he had first dibs of my pants. It might have been true, but I didn't want to walk alone. She told me that they were cutting her hours at the office. I'm still looking for another job, but when Drew gets settled out wherever the hell, I hope he doesn't forget about where he came from. Don't you think he'll need that money? I said. Don't you think we'll need that money? I thought of my savings and my heart tensed. Don't I think I'll need that money? 
I'm going to go do some homework, I said. She nodded and stared. I sat on the floor of my bedroom facing the window. I'd won a pair of binoculars and a school-wide spelling bee, and with them, I could see the neighbors' everythings. I saw two women kiss. I saw a man yell at his son. I saw a dog pee on a carpet. I saw snow. My mother called my name from outside the door and opened it. She held a cordless to her ear. What are you doing on the floor like that, she asked. Just looking outside, I said. The snow. I hope she didn't notice the binoculars. Justin's here, she said, and as quickly walked back through Drew's room to the kitchen. Justin came into the doorway, a short, skinny kid with bugged-out ping-pong ball eyes. He didn't clip or clean his fingernails, and more than once I'd seen him stick a dirty finger in his nose and slide a booger down to his lip and eat it. He wore his house keys on a lanyard around his neck and held his hands in the pockets of his basketball shorts. He asked if he could use my phone. What's wrong with your phone, I asked, but reached in my pocket and passed my cell anyway. My mom didn't pay the bill, he pointed outside. You see that snow? I hate snow. I'm gonna have to shovel these steps and shit, but at least we probably won't have school tomorrow, he said. I hate school. He remembered that he'd come here for a reason, it seemed, and dialed. Who you calling? I asked. My mom. She ain't come home yet. He held the phone to his ear for a few seconds and passed it back to me. Try getting a little bit, I said. Did you eat? He shook his head. Not hungry, though. He stepped deeper into my bedroom. He'd been down here before to ask us for sugar or flour, but he'd never been beyond the kitchen. He looked around and picked up the picture on my desk of Drew and me. Justin was an only child, just him and his mom upstairs. Smells clean in here, he said. My mother called us to the kitchen and we went. Did you reach your mother, she asked. He shook his head. Try again, she said. She passed him the cordless. He dialed seven digits and put the phone to his ear. She ain't answer. Did you eat, my mother asked him. He shrugged. Are you hungry, she asked. He shrugged. Speak up. I don't know, he said. I guess a little bit. My mother did a mother thing. There were three leftover chicken cutlets on the stove, and who knew when Drew would be home? No reason to waste. Sit down, she said. Justin asked for ketchup and squirted it over the hole of his cutlet. When he cut a piece and bit in, the ketchup dribbled down his chin and onto the table. My mother cringed and passed him a napkin. Wipe your face off, she said. You don't know how to eat? Justin sucked his teeth, but wiped the ketchup from his face and the table. Your mother's probably in traffic, she said. It's really coming down out there. You know buses act funny, even funnier in the snow. Justin nodded. His quietness surprised me. I knew the foul-mouthed kid who had a bad thing to say about every storefront person and place we passed between here and the bus stop. I wondered how he acted around his mother, if he cursed, spilled ketchup, etc., if she had any idea who he really was, or if I had any idea who he really was. I said, what do you and your mom usually do when she gets home? How can we recreate the upstairs experience? I don't know. We watch TV, I guess. You should read books, my mom said. What grade are you in now? He didn't swallow before speaking. Third, he said, but I hate school. Don't say that, she said. That's how you end up like those little hoodlums outside. You better learn to like school. He shrugged. I just don't like it. It's stupid. 